Welcome to the Live Big Podcast featuring Dr. Derek Greer, where we teach principles from God's Word that will empower you to live big. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com. Here's Dr. Greer. As we're in this season and, you know, if you watch television, you'll leave the house afraid, but the devil is a liar. We've been through things like this before and we'll make it through again. So what I recommend with this coronavirus and any other virus you might be dealing with is, is just, you know, use due diligence. Wash your hands often and, you know, Jesus didn't tempt the Lord. He didn't say, well, you know what, I'm going to jump and then catch me. So, so use due diligence. Be wise, okay? Um, you know, it's okay to elbow or fist bump, you know, if that's what you got to do. Uh, but just remember what the Bible says, no weapon formed against us shall prosper. And there's a lot more scary stuff out there than this. So again, just be wise. And uh, again, if you're sniffling and sneezing, uh, live streaming is is available. (laughs) We love you. We hug you from a distance. So again, you know, just stay home till all those symptoms are gone. Um, But uh, for the rest of us, listen, healing's in this room and deliverances in this room and God, you know, with two or three, gather his name. There he is in the midst. He's in the midst of his people. So continue to show up in the house of the Lord. We're going to back into our subject today, and I, I just got to salute the wisdom of God. We're in this healing series, uh, and it, it all, we began it right when all this crazy stuff started happening, and I think the Lord was trying to prepare us so that we'd be ready. So we're going to back into our, our, our subject. So open your Bibles to John chapter 3. And verse 1, and, and be patient with me until we get to that place of, of, of focus. But by that time, it'll all start to, to come together. There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. Nicodemus was part of the Jewish Sanhedrin or Sanhedrin. And uh, the Jerusalem Sanhedrin could be likened to our own Supreme Court in the United States, Uh, He was an incredibly powerful man with a super, super large job. And the only person with greater power than this ruler here uh, of the people uh, was really the high priest. So this was an incredible man with incredible influence. And we see in verse 2 that this man came to Jesus by night. And I think part of this was to ensure uninterrupted conversation with the master, it was very hard to get a, a word in with him because there'd be a knock on the door, my daughter's sick or my, my cousin's sick or, or you know, I, I have this, this issue, master. So he came at night, but, but I believe also the reason he came at night was probably to protect his reputation. He was a cautious man. He was a leading man, and he was unwilling to risk it all until he was sure about this, this man named Jesus. And by the way, caution is one of wisdom's closest friends. Bible said, wisdom dwells with prudence. And Nicodemus said to him, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God. For no one can do these things that you do unless God is with him. Now, how many of y'all remember the time when Moses went before Pharaoh? And the first three miracles he performed the magicians and the enchanters were able to do the same. Remember Moses threw down his rod and turned into a snake? And then they threw down a rod 
and, 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 and it turned into a snake. But the deal was Moses' snake ate up their snake. You see, Satan has some power, but God has all power. And Nicodemus knew that only God could stand behind the purity and the consistency and, in fact, the enormity of of the miracles that Jesus was doing on a daily basis. So Jesus answered and said to him, and this is important because he knew all of the assumptions that Nicodemus brought with him to this meeting and conversation. And Jesus is really about to shatter centuries of racial pride with a single statement. Watch what he says. Most assuredly, I say to you, meaning I mean what I'm about to say. I'm not stuttering. Unless one is born again, he cannot. Not he may not, not he possibly won't, but he cannot see the kingdom of God. You see, it was widely taught in synagogues at that time that every circumcised descendant of Abraham would automatically go to heaven. It was even said that Abraham sat at the gates of hell lest any Jewish person, circumcised Jewish person, accidentally went in. So Jesus is dealing with a whole lot of stuff in this conversation. And he says to Nicodemus, who again is a leading theologian, he's, he's, he's a, a leading thought leader, if you will, in the nation. And he said, Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Jesus is saying that no one's ethnicity secures their, their, their eternity, only spiritual rebirth. Now, if we were born right the first time, we wouldn't have to be born a second time. But how many of y'all know that there's some things that have gone wrong with us as we passed and began this journey? But, but here's the deal. As we talk about these things, don't be too hasty to look down your nose at Nicodemus. Don't, don't judge him so quickly. Because whether it's racism, cynicism, sexism, traditionalism, perfectionism, determinism, there's a whole bunch of isms we can go on and lay out. But here's the deal. Everyone has an ism to overcome. And Jesus was walking this man through his particular ism. And you say, how could Jesus talk to a man like that? It's hard to influence people you avoid. And I'm so discouraged by by folks that won't talk to certain people because they're from a different party and a different... How can you influence people that that you avoid? Yeah, I know you're quiet, but if you don't have a conversation with that person, how are you going to impact them? Okay, six. Verse 10. I I wanted to not mention this, but he's popping up. I think maybe it was about a... a year and a half ago, I was invited to the White House to be involved in a conversation about what was happening in the, in the, in the jails. And I happened to uh, have a wedding in, in Seattle, so, so I couldn't go. But how many of y'all know if I would have went? How much trouble I might have got in with some folk? I don't understand people. 
How do you influence people you avoid? I know y'all quiet. How, how are you going to impact somebody you won't talk to? How are you going to be part of the plans at the table if you're not at the table? All right. I feel people judging me. And Jesus answered him and said, are you the teacher of Israel and do not know these things? There's a little incredulousness here. The question has a little bit of frustration in its tone because anyone who has studied the scriptures ought to understand certain fundamental truths. God created our skin tones with beautiful variety, but our, our newborn spirits are always born the exact same color, pure. I, I, I like the way the NIV captures this next verse. Watch it. He said, verily, verily, or truly I, I, I tell you, we speak of what we know and we testify of what we have seen. How many of you know we is a pronoun? How many of you remember that from school? And it's used to describe the speaker. And everyone the speaker considers part of his or her group. My highest aspiration is to be part of Jesus' we. He said, we speak what, is, what we know. His disciples were obviously with him. He might have even been talking about God the Father and the Holy Spirit. And we have testified to what we've seen, but, but still you people do not accept my testimony. Notice those who trusted in their ethnicity, Jesus called you people. He distinguished himself from those people. Nicodemus may have had pedigree. He may have had human accomplishments. But the greatest barrier to truth is the presumption you already have it. So Jesus is actually about to lay into Nicodemus, and this whole thing ends with God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. But before he gets there, he has to lean in to this man and make him ready. And in verse 12, he said, if I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? Now, if you're not familiar with the text, Jesus had just explained the work of the Holy Spirit using a simple breeze. Matter of fact, let's go to John 3 and 8. He said, the wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from or where it's going. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. And what he was saying is that just as the wind is invisible and you can see its effects, you can hear its sound, and you can feel it against your skin. The Holy Spirit is also invisible, but there will be moments where you can see it, feel it, and hear him and its effect in the lives of those that have been born from above. But Jesus knew he wasn't getting through to old Nick. So Jesus said, I'm going to have to break it down just a little bit more for you, Nick. And he continued, he said, Nicodemus, no one, actually he's, he's quoting Proverbs chapter 30, but no one has ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven. He's saying, Nicodemus, 
I don't know that you really know who you're talking to. I'm not speculating or, or theorizing or, or postulating. Who knows a place better than someone who's been there? You say, I know you're used to listening to these the theologians wax eloquent with their ideas, but, but again, I, I, I am not taking a stab in the dark. I'm talking about the God I know. No one ascended to heaven but he who came down from heaven. That is the Son of Man who is what? In heaven. Now, earlier he used nature, the wind, to make this illustration. But here he's about to use the scripture next to confirm. Why? Because God and his word are always what? One. Everything Jesus did was consistent with what was prophesied of him in the old covenant. He only fulfilled everything the prophets have spoken. You hear what I'm saying? So, in fact, the Old Testament was so powerful that when Jesus was tempted, he couldn't prove upon it. He quoted Moses. He said, it is written, it is written, it is what? Written. God will not improve upon his word because he and his word are one. So, if God is speaking to you, make sure that word lines up to that which is written because God and his word are one. And if it's contrary to what's written, it's not God because God cannot change. A few of you are convinced. I'm going to get you excited. I, I want to make you happy. And it's just been so much depression and sadness out there. And, uh, dear God, I, I want you guys to, to be excited about what the Lord is doing. But, but let's, let's 14, 14. And as Moses lift up the serpent in the wilderness... Even so, watch this, he's quoting Numbers 21, must the Son of Man be lifted up. Jesus pointed to an Old Testament type and shadow to explain a New Testament reality. But what is it he's referring to? Let's go back to Numbers 21 and verse 4. Then they journeyed from Mount Hor by the west of the Red Sea to go around the land of Edom. The Israelites had been walking through the desert for at least two years here. And they were dealing with constant heat, dryness, sandstorms, and, and all the things that comes with living in a desert. And, and the journey started getting just a little bit long. Anybody ever feel that on your way to the promised land, the journey starts to get just a little bit long? And the soul of the people became very discouraged on the way. And the only thing Moses had to tell him was keep on walking, keep on moving. And sometimes it could be wearisome, it could be tiring, you know, between the point of promise and the point of fulfillment. And, and the folks got tired and, and Lord, I, I, I've been walking, I've been waking up every morning and, and I know you promised, but, but dear God, where is the promise, God? And, and, and I, I'm getting tired of the, this process you, you, you got me in and I, I want to move on and I, I want to get to the other side. And the people spoke against God and against Moses. Anyone really want to be a pastor? Because people with a problem with God are going to ultimately have a problem with you. I like what Aristotle said. He said, there's only one way to avoid criticism. Do nothing, say nothing, be nothing. And, and they said, why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? That's what it feels like sometimes, between the point of promise and while well, you're in process. Like, Lord, you're trying to kill me? I, I thought 
He said, let us go into the process. It flows with milk and honey. That's the good place. But, but Lord, this process is, is killing me. Why have you brought us out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? In some level, yes. He wanted them to crucify their flesh. He wanted them to get over themselves. And then they continued for, is there no food and water? And, and our soul loathes this worthless bread. God, you could have very easily, you're God. We saw what you did at the Red Sea. We saw the 10 plagues. You could have very easily taken us on a direct route to the promised land. But this is important. God is more concerned about the quality of our character than the speed of our process. I know you hate that. I hate that too. But God in his wisdom knows what we need in order to step into what we want. I've had to learn and I'm still learning. It gets hard sometimes, but you got to hold on to the vision and trust the process. Watch this, verse 6. So the Lord got mad and sent fiery serpents among the people. Now, the desert was filled with vipers and scorpions and all the types of things that lived in, in the desert. And for the last couple of years, God had protected them from these poisonous creatures daily. But when the people turned on God, the wall of protection came down. And every snake that had ever wanted to bite a Hebrew was now on the prowl. See, we may imagine in the midst of it, in the heat of it, in the, and in the hurt of it, and, and in the process of it, that God's abandoned us. But we seldomly realize how much God has shielded us until that shield goes down. I mean, you think you're doing bad, you ain't seen bad. God could have left them in Egypt. How soon we forget the bed some of us used to wake up in, the places we found ourselves in. And we don't remember anymore. We, we don't remember how deep down in our heart we were seeking for God and, and we, were, we were grabbing a fix, but ultimately we wanted God. You hear what I'm saying? We don't remember the confusion, how, 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 how soon we forget. God could have left them in that mess they were in in Egypt. God could have left you in that mess you were in in your Egypt. But by his grace, he said, Pharaoh, let my people go. That one belongs to me. I'm going to put my name on that one. I'm going to pull that one out, and I'm going to take them through a process. And on the other side of the process will be promise. But they're going to have to go through some heat. They're going to have to face some sandstorms. They're going to have to, to, to face some dry seasons in order to get to the place a promise. And the snakes did what snakes do. Now, you might have had some snakes in your life. That snake could have done a whole lot more. You're like, God, why this snake? That snake could have done a whole lot more. While God's favor was on you, yeah, it was a snake. Yeah, it was, but it could have been so much worse. But he kept you. But then you started complaining too much. And God had to remind you. If it hadn't been for the Lord on my side, <laughs> if it hadn't been for the Lord on your side, 
you think it was bad, you ain't seen bad yet. And they bit the people, and many of the people of Israel died. Why? This is important. Because ingratitude is worse than revenge. Revenge only returns evil for evil, an eye for an eye. But ingratitude returns evil for good. God had done so much, but they got ungrateful. God delivered them from the muck and the mire, but they got ungrateful. Used to have slave masters beating their backs, but they became ungrateful. And people began to die. Therefore, the people came to Moses and said, some of the things happening in your life are all designed to drive you to your knees. Listen, the snakes aren't going to stop until you turn. And the people said, we have sinned. They didn't say, well, Lord, it's, it's my genetic predisposition. Lord, it's the fault of society. Well, it's, the, it's my upbringing and the way I was raised. Lord, it is my circumstances. No, they called it what it was. We sinned. For we have spoken against the Lord and against you. Now, here's the big test. Can you pray for those who've just been bad-mouthing you, criticizing you, knocking on you? They said, Moses, pray to the Lord that he will take away these serpents from us. This is one of the true tests of your spirituality. When folks have been hating on you, when they get sick, you pray them well. People that have been causing problems, when they fall, you don't gloat. You try to help them up. You have been listening to the Live Big Podcast with Dr. Derek Greer. For more information, visit DerekGreer.com or follow Dr. Greer on social media.